Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. this summer, aren't we? (laughs) Our new message series is Marvelous, Empowered by Grace. And judging from the graphic, you can tell that's obviously a takeoff on the wildly popular Marvel Cinematic Universe. How many Marvel fans do we have in here? Okay, just shout out your favorite character. (laughs) You notice I didn't shout. Well, you see, I discovered there are millions of people who love Marvel. They love Marvel movies and characters and comics. And the recent Marvel movie, Endgame, has already grossed over $2.5 billion. And so um, I decided to be a team player, you know, when our preaching team said, hey, we want to base the summer series off this. So I went, okay. And it really was kind of contagious. They're all so enthusiastic. They told me all the storylines, and my grandkids are so excited. So I thought, okay, I'm going to watch a couple movies. I mean, which I did. I admit I did fall asleep. But I, I, I know I think it's because I didn't get it. Like, it's like complicated. <laughs> but I do believe God speaks through movies, even sci-fi and fantasy. So let's hear what he has to say. Father, it's so grateful that you even take the things of our culture because you're so eager to communicate your love to us, your grace for us, the beauty of the redemption given us in Jesus. And I pray that that comes through as we open your word, as your Holy Spirit breaks down barriers that have kept us from fully knowing who you are and the marvelous grace that is ours in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, this phenomenal popularity of the uh, Marvel superheroes, really more in recent years, but it suggests, according to a lot of researchers, and particularly even in the field of faith, they feel like this phenomenal popularity has suggested that their unique approach to heroism is somehow feeding a spiritual hunger that is in people. That they're not just watching these for entertainment. There's a hunger. And I was thinking about that and thinking back to even my own spiritual journey and uh, after Happy and I became believers and pretty much the entire time we've been serving Jesus these past 40 some years, we have had insatiable hunger. We have had hunger for more. Not more money or stuff or pleasure or education. Actually, we've been there. We've done that. That doesn't satisfy. But there have been a hunger, a hunger for more of God, a hunger to live victoriously, a a hunger to live heroically, if you will, like the superheroes in the Bible. And I think for many of you, that's actually what attracted you to the vineyard. You, You want more. You're not satisfied not just with your own life, but with your ability to impact others, you know, to live heroically. Again, we're hungry to be heroic. 
Well, actually, that hunger is God-given. That's from God himself. Because we are made, right, in the image of God. We want to be like him. We actually want to be heroic. You know, we want to be superheroes. You know, we, we want to do good. And that's a God-given desire, a God-given hunger. But the reality is we struggle, right? All of us struggle. We struggle with the tension of real-life problems, real-life issues and pressures and stress. And that actually explains, in part, why Marvel superheroes are so attractive to us. See, we, we, we stress over huge debt or the pressures at work or maybe it's an addiction to, to food or to alcohol or maybe it's just the whiny kids. I mean, they're only out of school two days and they're bored, right? No. So we, we, we know the tension of, of living with real-life problems. Well, that's exactly what the Marvel Universe displays. There's these superheroes with these super abilities, but they're actually real-life people. They're, they're humans who live in real cities, and they're up against real-life problems in addition to fighting crime and avenging evil. Okay, so, like, if you're not familiar with the Marvel Universe, like I wasn't, <laughs> I had to be a good student, take Spider-Man. So Spider-Man is just this ordinary high school, college student, Peter Parker, who is transformed in this awesome, this awesome superhero named Spider-Man, okay? Or how about Iron Man? He's just Tony Stark. He's this genius inventor. His lifestyle isn't all that great, but through the iron suits, you know, he's a hero who does good. Take Bruce, Dr. Bruce Banner. He's a brilliant physicist. I mean, think Putty Putman. <laughs> now, I know Putty doesn't transform into the Incredible Hulk, but <laughs> the Hulk, although he struggles with rage, he is a hero who does good. Or Captain America. He's Steve Rogers, weak, wimpy soldier who's transformed into this superhero. So Marvel's view of heroism that people are so attracted to that feed a spiritual hunger is this. Marvel idea of heroism. Ordinary people who find themselves with unique superhero abilities and yet struggle to overcome personal weaknesses in order to use those abilities to be better than they thought they could be and to help others. Why, that's a picture of us. That, that's a picture of us. We're just ordinary people. We actually find ourselves with unique superhero abilities. We've been born again. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been sent, right? to set the captives free. And yet, we struggle. <laughs> As I said, we struggle with everyday problems, with tensions, with pressures, with sin, with, with all of it. We struggle. But we've been given these abilities to be better than we actually thought we could be and to help others. We are superheroes in disguise, just like the Marvel heroes. We're made to be marvelous through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Apostle Paul describes this this way. He says, we're like clay pots. You know, God made humans out of the clay of the earth, right? We're just these ordinary clay pots. But oh, 
we carry within us the light in the life of God himself. We are superheroes in disguise. We're made to be marvelous. So we can find it very hard, though, to be heroic. I find it hard to be heroic, <laughs> to actually live as the superhero that God says I can be. Well, we're going to watch a brief clip from a recent Marvel film, Captain Marvel. It hasn't been released yet, I heard, so this could be a spoiler. So, like, if you don't you know, want to be spoiled, <laughs> don't watch. But um, Captain Marvel is a, a woman. She is uh, uh, part of the military at one time. Her name is Carol Danvers. And as we open this clip, she is being taunted by the voice of the evil uh, one in, in the film, saying, you know, you're just a human. You're helpless. You're weak. You, you, you can't do this. And isn't that the voice we hear all the time? The voice of the enemy, Satan, you know, telling us what we can't do and how unqualified we are or what a failure we are. I think we can relate. So let's watch this clip of Captain Martha. Remember, without us, you're weak. Without us, you're only human. You're right. I'm only human. fighting with one arm tied behind my back. But what happens when I'm finally set free? So, we can relate, right? We fall, we stumble, we're beat down, we fail, but oh, we've been fighting with one arm behind our back until the one who became human for us sets us free to be the superheroes that he is through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We can actually be the superheroes in disguise. So, why do we struggle? Well, that's what I want to address today. And I think a lot of the problem, not all of it, but a lot of the problems revolves around our misunderstanding of grace. See, grace is actually the key to living heroically, <laughs> to being that superhero in disguise. 
And so I want to look at this as we dive into our series, Marvelous, Empowered by Grace. Now, grace is just one of those religious words for a lot of us. Most of us would be familiar with the hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. And that's a glorious truth. You know, that the grace of God, the amazing grace, saved a wretch like me. The problem is, we continue to live like a wretch. You know, we don't overcome sin. We can't even deal with the evil in the world. We cannot live heroically. So what's the issue there? Well, again, I believe we don't really understand grace. So we're going to take a look at some of what the Word of God has to teach us, primarily through the Apostle Paul. He is the champion of grace. All of his letters, which is about two-thirds of the New Testament, are just saturated in the revelation of grace. And it's very exciting. And I love when we read the Passion Translation, interestingly, often the adjective used to describe grace is marvelous. I had no idea that was true when we chose the title for this series. I thought, yes, God, marvelous grace. So a popular passage, and this is Ephesians. I'm reading from the uh, uh, Passion Translation. And this is Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, where Paul introduces us to grace. He says, Ephesians 2, 5, even when we were dead, doomed in our many sins, he, God, united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful or marvelous grace. It's interchanged as an adjective often in this translation. So all of us can relate. We were doomed. We, we were dead in our sin, in our lifestyles, in, in the darkness uh, of, our, of the things that we did that we knew weren't good for us. We were doomed. And yet, even when we were dead and doomed, he, God, rescued us. He united us with the very life of Christ. He saved us by his wonderful grace, his totally unmerited favor and love for us. Now, let's go on. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. For it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. See, there's nothing we could do. Grace actually empowered us to believe in Jesus as our Savior. It was a total gift, totally unmerited. Now, don't hear undeserved. Because actually, if you read the entire passage of Ephesians 2, he talks about, man, you were a mess, a total mess, all of you. You, you followed after Satan. You lived the raunchiest lifestyles, and yet, oh, God loved you. He loved you so much as the children made in his image that he is going to pay a big price to bring back into relationship through the shed blood of Jesus. So it's, we can't earn it. There's nothing we could do. We were too far gone. It's not undeserved, though, and that's important because he sees us as valuable. He saw us as worthy of being saved, right? So this is good. I think most of us, uh, if we have a relationship with Jesus, and if we don't, we definitely want to lead you into that. We, we have at one time said, yes, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus. But then... 
This is where our confusion with grace sets in, in two different ways. And I, I just want to briefly mention those. And I think it's interesting because in both of these ways, I, I like to say we have believed a version of greasy grace. Greasy grace. The number one version, after we become a believer, you know, we, we now are a Christian, though we treat grace like a grease that oils or lubricates the cogs of self-effort. Okay, now, I need, God, I need your grace. I, yeah, to be better, to be a good Christian, to, to obey. I really need your grace to manage my sin. You know, I need your grace. Give me another deposit of grace. Grace becomes this grease that oils the cogs of self-effort. Focus on self. Okay, some of you know that. I, I'm a performer, so um, that, I, I get that. I, I've lived there. God, give me the grace, you know, to overcome, to be pleasing to you, to be a better Christian, to do the right thing. Give me your grace. God, I need your empowering. I need your help. Okay, on the other, the flip side of greasy grace is people who say, wow, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I got my ticket out of hell, ticket to heaven, saved by grace, once saved, always saved, greasy grace. I slide right back into sin. It doesn't matter, right? I'm saved. I can eat, drink, and be merry, do whatever I want. So some of you might live in that camp. Greasy grace. Neither of them biblical grace. <laughs> but I have to admit, grace can be confusing. If you do uh, just like a word study, you use a Bible dictionary, or you go look up Hebrew, Greek. Did you know grace is actually all throughout the Old Testament too? Most prominent in the New Testament. But there's both Hebrew and Greek words for grace. But you can tell that the scholars who study this, they have a very difficult time trying to define grace because they stumble all over themselves with God's unmerited favor, God's empowering, God's divine influence, God's goodness, loving kindness, pleasure, loveliness, joy. I mean, <laughs> excuse me? See, it's giving us a picture that grace is good, grace is great, way beyond, it's marvelous, marvelous grace. But this is where I want to help us. You see, grace, we can't think of it as a, a commodity. Or we can't think of it as a, a doctrine or a subject matter or even a song to sing. Or, and this is the most important part, we can't think of grace as a one-time injection of God's unmerited favor that takes us out of sin, that rescues us out of sin. No, no, no. Because... Grace is a person. Grace is God himself. Are we saved by grace? Yes, but we're saved by Jesus. We're saved by Jesus. Jesus rescues us. Are we empowered by grace? Jesus empowers us. Jesus is the personification of grace. This actually makes all the difference in the world because that grace is released in our life and active in our life through our faith in him, through our union with him. You see, it's totally dependent on our living with absolute faith and trust in him who lives in us. His grace, his 
goodness, his life, his empowering then fills us and flows out of us. You see, grace is not a one-time injection of God's unmerited favor to take us out of sin. God's grace is a one-time unmerited injection of Jesus Christ who takes the sin out of us. That's totally different. You see, he makes us a totally new person. He makes us a person who is clean and holy and righteous and pleasing. It's not just a one-time injection to take us out of sin. It's an injection of his grace and favor to take sin out of us. Wow. I love how Paul wrote to Titus this amazing truth that God's marvelous grace has manifested in person, bringing salvation for everyone. Wow. God's marvelous grace manifested. It's been made known. We, we got to see him and touch him and taste him, the, the disciples said. We got to eat with him. He, he, Jesus himself, grace himself came, and he brought salvation for everyone, not just eternal life, in the hereafter. No, he brought wholeness, new life, righteousness. He brought his grace to fill us, his very self, to fill us and empower us to be those superheroes that we long to be. Again, we trust Jesus, not a doctrine. You know, we believe Jesus, you know, not just a theology. And so grace is a person. It's the person of Jesus with whom we live and move and have our being. Many years ago, uh, I, I had a conversation with a woman Bible teacher, and I was in a lot of uh, despair. A good friend of mine had just uh, lost a young child, and I found myself just being filled with fear, just tormented. Like, I said, mostly, it's, it's that I'm afraid I'll totally lose my faith, that if anything like that happens to me, I don't know how I could continue to trust God whether that was the death of a child, and I found that, you know, I had that anxiety about a lot of things that could derail my faith. I didn't know if I could stay faithful. I didn't know if I could keep loving God through, through trouble and weakness and pressure and trauma. And she looked at me and she said, oh, Di, you, you don't understand. Don't you know that whatever you're going to go through in life, grace will be there. Well, I remember at the time thinking, oh, you mean like, Trouble comes, mm, deposit of grace. Okay, I can walk through it. You know, fear comes, mm, deposit of grace. But that wasn't my experience at all. What I discovered, she was so right. Grace is a person that when trauma and anxiety and trial and fear have assaulted me all through my walk with Jesus, it's Jesus himself. It's his peace. It's his presence. It's his love. It's his favor. That's what comes and empowers me to be faithful, to continue to live heroically in my everyday life and beyond. Well, I don't know if you know it, but we are in a revolution of grace. <laughs> and it is one powerful revolution. Since about 2009, 2010, the Holy Spirit has been unleashing a revolution of grace all around the world, and it is truly marvelous, marvelous grace. But it's scandalous. 
It's controversial. It's misunderstood. We've been accused of hyper grace and uh, greasy grace. <laughs> I want you to know it's heroic, heroic grace. Why? People say, you, you, if you preach too much grace, you just give people, you know, a license to sin. I mean, the last time I checked, you don't need a license to sin. Most people do very well without a license to sin, right? No, no, no. Preach too much grace? You're saying I preach too much Jesus? No, Jesus has gotten bigger, better, and more beautiful as we have embraced this grace, this revolution of grace. But the controversial part is this, that grace is not that one-time injection of God's unmerited favor that takes us out of a sinful world. It's, it's God's unmerited favor that comes and removes sin out of us and fills us with himself. So this is what Paul was so misunderstood, and this is what he wrote. Now I'm going to read what he wrote to the Romans. In Romans 5, 1, he said, Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And he now declares us flawless in his eyes. What? <laughs> I, I remember when we first started hearing this with the grace teaching. This can't be true. Why? Because I don't feel flawless. I don't look flawless. I don't act flawless. Oh, but our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And he declares us flawless in his eyes. We actually can live heroically. We can live victoriously. Why? Sin is gone. Past, present, future. Sin is gone. That's a marvelous revelation. Oh, Di, are you saying then I never sin? No, I wish that were true. <laughs> But I'm saying it's a possibility to live far more heroically, far more victoriously. Why? Because now I know I'm totally pleasing to God. I don't have to clean up my sin. I don't have to make myself good enough. I'm already good enough. And he is living inside of me with his grace, allowing me to become the person that he already sees me as, flawless in his eyes. I know I'm loved. I know he's never going to leave me. Jesus wiped out past, present, future sin. I'm really new. This has been a tremendous, tremendous revelation. It's a revolu revolution of grace that took our eyes off ourself, my self-effort, you know, my sin that I have to manage, my self-control, and we put our eyes on the Savior, the Savior who is grace himself. And having trust and faith in him on a daily basis. Let's go on. Paul goes on in verse 2. He says, our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous grace that has given us a perfect relationship with God. Wow. I spent so much of my life thinking I was a disappointment to God. Not understanding this marvelous grace that has given me permanent access to him. Nothing stands in the way. I can come boldly before him. And do I need help? Absolutely. Do you need help? Absolutely. You know, if this transformation happened instantly, you know, where we're flawless, because that's how God sees us, if it didn't have to be worked out, why would we need Jesus? No, I'm constantly aware of the weakness and the pressure and the stress, so I depend on him. 
I draw from his grace, his empowering, his influence, his help, no matter what the situation. And the invitation is what? He says, he tells us in Hebrews, you know, I'm a faithful high priest. I actually know what it's like because I became a human and I put aside my divine privileges and I was tempted in every way that you are. I suffered every pressure, every stress, every trial, every trouble, everything I know without sin. And now you can come boldly before the throne of grace. And that's where he's sitting, grace himself. And he is ready to give us. He's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed uh, of, of the mistakes we made, even though we are. It's so good to live without shame and guilt and condemnation with grace, grace himself filling us. So good. You know, you can choose every day. I choose, I have to choose every day. I say, Lord, give me this day, not only your daily bread, your daily grace. You know why? Because so many of us squander our grace. How do I know? We do what William Paul Young calls future tripping. We're always worrying about tomorrow. See, you're already thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch, you know, or what you're going to do tonight, or the pressures that await you at work tomorrow. Stop. You're wasting today's grace. You're wasting that union with Jesus today where you can just live in righteousness, peace, and joy. I ask him for daily, daily grace. Yes, grace. Grace is a person and I live in union with him. I have a partnership with him. I'm learning how to be heroic in little ways and big ways, mostly little ways. I'll tell a quick story on my husband. I'll call him heroic Cap, because he's really good at this. So the other day, he's here at work, and he gets a phone call from our neighbor. She's 80-some years old. Her husband's 89. And she goes, Happy, I need help. Oh, Joan, what's wrong? Oh, can you come? He goes, well, tell me what's wrong. I'm at work. I need help. What's wrong? My toilet is overflowing. <laughs> oh, well, just get the plunger. I tried that. I need your help. Now, this is where you have a choice. You see, you have lots of choices in a day to be heroic, to not be selfish, to let Jesus rise up within you, empower you to do something maybe you don't actually want to do. And so Hap puts down the phone, drives home 20 minutes, trots over to the neighbor. Sure enough, there's the overflowing toilet, and I mean it's overflowing with stuff you don't want to smell. Okay, so this isn't a pleasant job. You know, and he, <laughs> he, worked, he worked over an hour, <laughs> and he's actually a really good plumber. <laughs> the, he got it to work, but the conclusion was she needed to actually install a new toilet. My point is, he was a hero. See, he didn't go by his selfishness. Well, as we, we finish up here, I want to look at a really important truth that we're going to be emphasizing all throughout this series. And it comes out of John, Jesus' you know, closest disciple. John makes a big deal that Jesus is not only the personification of grace, Jesus is the personification of truth. And you see, you need both of those. Why? Remember that enemy? You're a, you're, you're a failure. You're weak. You're proud. You got to work harder. You can't do it. You can do it. I mean, whatever lie he can use to mess you up, to get you away from trusting Jesus. And that's why we need grace and truth. Okay, so John said, when he was describing Jesus' entrance into the earth, he said it this way. 
And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, astounding. God became a human. Like I said, he gets us. He's full of grace and truth, but see, that's not the best part. How about the next part? For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What? I've got the fullness of God? See, for much of my life, I got a half teaching. You're half good and half bad. You know, devil on one shoulder, angel on the other. You know, there's this war always going on. I want you to know Jesus doesn't do a halfway job. He doesn't believe in halfway houses. He makes this house 100% clean, righteous, holy. Why? He's moving in. You see, grace himself is moving in to empower us to be not just heroes in our own life, but out there, plunging other people's dirty toilets or whatever he sends us to do. Oh, it's marvelous grace. Yes, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Oh, grace and truth. Yes, it's not just doctrines and commands and rules. No, we have a person that we can trust daily. I don't care what the battle, I don't care what the stress, I don't care what the weakness. Our faith in him, his grace, his empowering, his influence, his favor, his goodness, his love makes up for all of it. Let me illustrate with what I consider to be a real true hero. Read this story in the paper this week, or two weeks ago. It so demonstrates this truth that I am wanting to emphasize about grace and truth. So, um, a young man named Elijah Dormius... He uh, was getting ready to graduate from Morehouse College. That's a historically all-male, all-black college in Atlanta, Georgia. And he's sitting there, and he's just basking in the sun. But, you know, he had a heavy weight on him because he, he, because he was one of nine children of a single mother raised in Harlem, New York. His father died when he was seven. You know, he had $100,000 in school loans that he was going to have to repay. And that was a heavy weight on him. Even though he'd worked a job, he obviously had to borrow money to make it through college. And, he, you know, he's, that's, he's well aware of that. He doesn't have any other solution. And he's listening to the speaker, who was a billionaire investor and philanthropist named Robert F. Smith. And he's speaking, and all of a sudden, he announces life-changing, stunning, startling news to the tune of, he and his family are now going to assume the debt of all 400 graduates, totaling $40 million. <laughs> Woo! And just like that, his debt is wiped out. Just like that. All that he owed, wiped out, gone forever, just like our sins, right? Gone. Jesus wiped it out. Wow. And surely we are thankful, right? And we sing amazing grace. And that's exactly what uh, Dormius did. He said he dropped his head in his hands. He was crying. He jumped up. He went back to his room. And through his head, he heard the, the gospel hymn, God has smiled on me. He has set me free. Oh, God has smiled on me. He's been good to me. <laughs> he said, I was struggling for four years straight. Now, look, God has smiled on me. I want you to know the words God has smiled on me, that's a metaphor for the grace grace of God. God smiling on him. 
Now, wow, what if Elijah had said to Mr. Smith, oh, oh, well, thank you, but let, let me help you pay for some of that. You know, I know my debt is great. You know, here, it's like us offering Jesus. Here's my little efforts. Here, here, here's my attempts. Here's my self-effort to, to manage my sin. And Jesus said, I already took care of that to the tune of way more than $40 million. No, 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 no. Jesus has taken it all away. We are clean. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves any better. You know, billionaire Smith and Savior Jesus, they don't want our help. The debt is gone. We truly can rejoice and receive. But how are we going to use that freedom? See, and that's where people have accused us of, oh, you just give people freedom just to go wild and do whatever they want. They know all their sins are forgiven. Well, you know, what about Elijah? Is that what he's going to do? Oh, guess what? I don't have to work now. Might as well start charging things, <laughs> having a good time. Absolutely not. He plans to work full-time, save money, help pay college costs for his younger brother, Jeremiah, and his long-term dream is to build a financial foundation that helps people in the community get out of debt and go to college. <laughs> Same for us, right? You know, when we hear this message that I'm clean and holy and filled with grace himself, does that make me want to lie around and binge on Netflix and eat chocolate all day? I hope not. I want to go. I want to live heroically. I want to be a superhero in disguise. I am made to be marvelous because the marvelous one lives in me. And he has empowered me to give away his goodness, his grace, his love, his amazing message. Wow. Marvelous, empowered by grace. Oh, God, teach us to be superheroes in Jesus. And I thank you. I thank you for what you've done, and I pray you stretch us and you change us. And you, you, Lord, teach us how to be the true superheroes that you have paid for us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.